peace and hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do keep that Bible passage open and let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would cause uh, each one of us, just like it said in that last verse there, that it would co- your Holy Spirit would cause us to boast in you, to literally rejoice in you this evening. We pray, Lord, that you be at work in us, causing us to rejoice in who you are, uh, to rejoice in all that you've done, to rejoice in your great love for each one of us in Jesus. And so please, Lord, by your spirit, help us, help me as I speak, help us all as we listen, and help us to sit under your word And let your word transform us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you were here last week as I um, kicked off this You Are Loved sermon series, you may remember I quoted Victor Hugo, and a picture's going to come up of him there. Uh, He looks as though he might have had just a few too many second helpings of pudding, doesn't he? Um, But um, as well as perhaps eating too much pudding, Victor Hugo said this quote. He said, the greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. And just as you look at that quote, just take it in. I think it is a really wonderful quote, which is so, so true. Certainly, as I think on what has made me most happy, it is when I have known that I'm loved. When I've known that I'm loved by Susanna, by my mum and dad, by my children, by close friends. And yet, as I said last week, all human love has two problems. All human love has two problems. It is tainted and it is temporary. All human love, it is tainted in that it's never perfectly pure because none of us are perfectly pure. And all human love is temporary because everybody will, at some point, either leave us or die. And that's why that phrase, you are loved on its own, in some sense it is quite trite. Because we will never ever be perfectly and permanently loved 
by any other human being. Whereas if we add to that phrase, you are loved, if we add the words by God, if we, if we look at the phrase, you are loved by God, that is a statement that is not trite in any way at all. And instead, that statement, you are loved by God, can be hugely transformative in your life and in my life. Because unlike human love that is tainted, God's love is perfect. And unlike human love that is temporary, God's love is permanent. And yet, and yet, if we're honest, there are times for all of us probably here, there are times when we're not actually totally sure whether we really are perfectly and permanently loved by God. We, we, things happen that cause us to doubt whether we are loved like that by God. And chiefly, that the reason for that is when we struggle or when we suffer in whatever way that may be. You know, maybe I'll just list a whole load of different things. where The ways that we might suffer and struggle, it could be childhood turmoil, it could be illness, it could be anxiety, it could be redundancy, it could be romantic rejection, it could be exam stress, it could be bereavement, boredom, burnout, involuntary singleness, financial challenge, a broken engagement, dissatisfaction, loneliness, being ostracized by someone we thought was a friend, by depression, by online bullying, an unhappy marriage, the, the, the treadmill of busyness. It could be all sorts of different things. And in those times, whatever they may be for each one of us, when we struggle, when we suffer, in whatever way it is, we start to find ourselves wrestling. Wrestling to reconcile that we are loved by God despite the existence of suffering and pain and challenge in our lives. Start thinking, you know, does, does God really care about me? Does God really know me inside out and what I need? Does God actually love me and want what is best for me when I'm facing this thing? Because if, if you can be sure that you are totally loved by God, even in the toughest of times, well then that is going to be the secret to the greatest happiness of life. And in Romans 5 that Hector just read for us, I think we find two reasons why we can be totally sure of God's perfect and permanent love for every single one of us here. Two reasons. First one's this, that God proves his love for us. He proves it. Now I wonder if you can just think of what you have ever done to prove your love to somebody else. I remember when I was about 11 years old and um, rather liking this girl who I will give the name Catherine because that was her name. Um, uh, and I thought Catherine was very, very lovely, okay? And uh, I was with a friend of mine and, and my friend's sister and I was telling them about this and about Catherine and my friend's sister said, oh, I've got a spare Valentine's card that you can have to send to Catherine. I thought, brilliant, there we go. I can prove my love to Catherine and it's not gonna cost me any of my pocket money at all. That is perfect. And so I got the Valentine's card, I wrote in it and I sent Catherine the card, but I didn't put my name on it, and so she didn't know who the card was from. In fact, I later found out that she thought 
that this Valentine's card had been sent to her, not by me, but by James Blunt, the pop star, uh, who I was at school with. Obviously, he wasn't a pop star back then, but James Blunt also knew Catherine. And I never, ever, ever admitted, until today, <laughs> that it was actually me that sent that card. So to this day, Catherine is probably going around to all her friends, telling them she once received a Valentine's card from James Blunt. It's probably a big claim to fame, when actually, sorry, Catherine, it was me. <laughs> Now, how well did I do at proving my 11-year-old love for Catherine? Answer, disastrously. Because I gave her something that didn't cost me anything at all, and there was nothing even to identify me with the card. Now, contrast that with God. God proving his love for each one of us here. How does God prove his love for us? Look at verse 8, would you? Look at verse 8. Paul writes, But God demonstrates, literally it is God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the essence of love is all about giving. You know, think of the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Or Galatians 2 verse 20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, what has God given to us? I gave a Valentine's card that didn't cost me anything. God gave the most precious thing he had, his son, to death on a cross. End of that verse, Christ died for us. Catherine, Catherine didn't have a clue who the card was from. But we know clearly who this gift is from. It's from God himself. God giving himself to death on a cross for us. And whilst Catherine was a nice person, perfectly deserving of a Valentine's card, well, we, well, Paul's description of us is, is pretty bleak. In fact, what Paul does, I don't know if you noticed as Hector read it, but Paul basically says exactly the same thing in the same sort of phrasing three times in this passage. Just look at how he describes us. Look in verse 8, first of all. How does he describe us? Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's very similar if you go up to verse 6 where it says, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Which is very similar again to if you go down to verse 10, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. To say the same idea, kind of the other way around, Jesus didn't die for you once you or I became strong. Jesus didn't die for us once we stopped being sinful. Jesus didn't die for us once we became friends with him. God didn't sort of hold back, assessing our worth, assessing our credentials before deciding whether it was worth loving us or not. No, whilst we were still totally undeserving, whilst we were turning our backs on God, whilst we were shutting our ears to his call, whilst we were taking all the good and the glorious things of this world, whilst ignoring the giver, whilst we were like that, he died in our place, proving his love for you and for me. Several years ago, uh, an aeroplane um, took off from Washington DC in the States and it crashed into the Potomac River. And it was winter uh, and the river was full of ice and the crash happened near a major road bridge so the TV cameras could see exactly what was going on. 
And millions of viewers sitting in their living rooms watching TV would watch on their TV screens and they saw uh, this helicopter hovering overhead. And the helicopter hovering overhead let down a life belt on a line to a man struggling in the icy water. And the man grabbed the life belt, swam across, clipped this woman in and she was hoisted to safety. Again, the helicopter let down the, li the life belt on the line. Again, the man grabbed it, clipped someone else in and they were hoisted to safety. And that happened four or five times before tragically this man drowned. Now imagine you were one of the millions of people sitting in your living room watching on TV. And imagine you asked yourself, why doesn't he save himself? Why doesn't he save himself? Well, the answer's obvious, isn't it? He didn't save himself because he was out to save others. He died so that others could live. And it is exactly the same with Jesus. Jesus died so that others could live. And this time, we're not just sort of distant spectators watching the event on TV. We're involved. We're the ones that need rescuing, just like those people in the river. In fact, as we sort of splash around in the water, who are we? We're powerless. We're sinners. We're God's enemies. And yet still, in love, Jesus rescues us through his death. Verse seven, Paul says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, as happened in the Potomac River. But, verse eight, God demonstrates. Literally, God proves his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can you and I be sure that God truly loves us? We look to the cross. We look to the cross. God proves his love for you and for me. He proves it at the cross. So that's the first thing. God proves his love for us at the cross. But secondly, not just God proves his love for us at the cross, but also God pours out his love for us. He pours it out. Have a look at verse five. Verse five. Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if the first point, if you like, if the first point was the objective demonstration of God's love for us, this second point, if you like, is the sort of subjective experience of God's love. And I want us to be really clear this evening exactly what Paul is talking about here in verse five. We're gonna look at verse five in quite some detail. What I want us to see is this. This talk here about God's love being poured out into our hearts, this is an experience that is not for everybody in the entire world. It's not that. But it is an experience for every single Christian believer. This is an experience that can be had for anyone who is trusting in Jesus Christ. Not just a sort of select super spiritual few, but for everyone who's a follower of Jesus. Because this experience of God's love, what does it say? It is through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Romans chapter eight, verse nine, tells us that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, that experience 
experience, that experience of God pouring out his love into our hearts, it might be experienced to different degrees by different people at different times. But this is an experience that is open to all who've put their faith in Jesus Christ and it can be pursued in fuller and fuller measure as we go through our lives as followers of Jesus. So just look at the tenses of the two verbs here. Actually, they're slightly different tenses in verse five. Look at verse five again. What does it say? It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now take the last bit first, that bit that says the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The tense of the verb there in the Greek implies a once for all completed action in the past. In other words, you and I, we have been given the Holy Spirit once for all when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't need to be given him again. If we're in Christ, Christ is living in us by his spirit. It's once for all. But what about the tense of the phrase before? Just look at the bit before again in bold up there. What about the bit where it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts? It is actually slightly different in the Greek. And this time, what it implies, it says there was a past pouring act. In the past, there was a pouring act of God's love, but also there is an ongoing, continuing act of pouring. In other words, we were given the Holy Spirit when we came to trust in Jesus, but the outpouring of God's love into our hearts, that can have ongoing and varied expressions continuing over time throughout our lives as following Jesus. Again and again, God's love poured out into our hearts again and again as we go through life as a follower of Jesus. Now, what does that feel like? What what does that feel like each time it happens? Is it sort of like, you know, a a, a waterfall, a refreshing waterfall pouring over us? Is it like electric currents buzzing through you each time God pours out his love into our hearts? For some people, sometimes it is. But, But here's the important thing. Any feelings of God's love pouring into your heart They must be connected to your knowledge of the work of Christ on the cross. So so think of Prince Harry. Dear Prince Harry, in his recent infamous autobiography, when, when when he talks about feeling close to God after smearing animal blood on his face after killing a deer, or when he feels the energy around him when he consults a medium, or when he takes drugs and he's happy Harry and he's, he's having a conversation with a dustbin lid or whatever it was, those are not instances of experiencing God's love poured out into his heart, however happy he might have been feeling in those moments. And here's why. Just look at verse eight again. Look at what verse eight does not say. Verse eight does not say this. It does not say, but God demonstrated in the past his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that. We might expect it to say that. The cross, that happened 2,000 odd years ago, but it doesn't say that. It's not God demonstrated in the past. It says God demonstrates in the present his own love for us. In other words, what Paul's saying, he's saying our present experience of God's love in our lives Our present experience of God's love, it's connected not just to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but it is also connected to the work of Christ on the cross. He's saying the two are connected to each other in the present. He's saying our experience of the love of God in our hearts is always 
a response to the story of the love of God in Christ. And really, that is a reminder to you and I, to each one of us, if we're ever doubting whether we're loved by God in any way at all, if we're ever doubting it, we would do so well to, if you like, keep the two points that I've been speaking about this evening, to keep the two connected together. The objective facts, point one, and the subjective experience, point two, we keep them together. The work of the Son, point one, and the work of the Spirit, point two, we keep them together. What God has done on the cross, point one, and what God is doing in our hearts, we keep them together. God, he proves his love for you at the cross, and he pours out his love for you through the Spirit. And I want to urge each one of us to hold those two things together to be assured that you are loved by God no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what challenges might be challenging you to doubt God's love for you. And if I may say it, amongst us, there'll be all sorts of different characters with wide and different ways. There'll be some of us that we're more sort of logical, we're more cerebral, we more sort of think things through and the sort of the proving point of the first point that we, we sort of get that really easily. But actually what we're hearing now is it's not just about, oh, I'm thinking this in my brain and isn't it wonderful that God loves me? But actually it is about experience too. It is about God pouring his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It, we, we've got to look and say, how am I experiencing God's love? Not just rationally, logically thinking things through. But then there are going to be others of us here and actually if we're honest, we're a bit more sort of touchy-feely. And we love the feelings, we love the experiences. But what we've got to be careful about is that we don't just go, oh, aren't these experiences wonderful? But we make sure we're rooting, we're connecting these experiences to the work of Jesus on the cross. We've got to have both together. If we're going to go through our entire lives not doubting that God loves us. When we struggle to know if we're loved by God. When it feels like God doesn't really care what's going on in my life or, or, or God doesn't seem to care what's going on in this messed up world. What the Bible doesn't do, it doesn't sort of give us, here's a, a neat three-point solution to the problem of suffering. It doesn't do that. But what it does do is it gives us the right perspective to view our struggles and our challenges and our difficulties from. And above all, it tells us to cast our minds to the cross. You know, perhaps at times we feel that God's distant. Perhaps we feel God is sort of chilling out on some heavenly sun lounger and he's indifferent to the pain and the difficulties that I'm going through at the moment. Well, the cross tells it as it really is. For in the midst of our suffering today, whatever that suffering might be, we know a God who once suffered himself in Jesus Christ and who continues to suffer with us today. Nietzsche, he used to ridicule the idea of God on the cross. But I could not believe in God were it not for the cross. Because in a world of pain and of suffering, we need to know a God 
who has experienced all our pain, indeed so much more than we will ever experience. You know, at the cross, just to back a couple of chapters, Romans 3 verse 25 tells us that God at the cross, God didn't just prove his love. He did do that, he proved his love at the cross. But Romans 3.25 tells us that God didn't just prove his love, he also proved his justice. He proved his justice at the cross because on the cross, God in Christ took on himself the punishment that justice needed to be paid for all our sin. And you know, God didn't just pour out his love through his spirit, he did do that. But the Bible tells us that God also pours out not just his love, but God also pours out his wrath. His, his right, perfect, holy hostility to all evil, God pours that out too. And yet, in our passage in verse 9, it tells us that we can be saved from God's wrath. Now, how is that? It's because at the cross, in Christ, God's wrath was poured out on himself, not on us. So that you and I, we can have love poured into our hearts. Because Jesus had wrath poured into his at the cross. It is in love that Jesus Christ suffered all that for you and for me. Some of you may have heard me tell this story before that in an African village, one night there was a fire. And a whole family died in their house except for one little baby boy because some unidentified figure rushed into the inferno of flames and rescued this little baby boy. And shortly afterwards, the village elders, they all gathered together to decide who should look after this little boy. And one person stepped forward. He said he was the richest, that he should look after the boy. Another person stepped forward and said he was the most powerful, he should look after the boy. A third person stepped forward and he said he was the youngest, he was the fittest, he had the most energy, he should look after the boy. And then one very insignificant man stepped forward. And he said to them all, he said, I have a superior claim to all of you to raise this child. Why, said the other elders, why? What what possible claim have you got? And then he slowly raised his hands for them to see, and they were horribly burned and scarred. The amazing truth is we have a saviour with scars. And this saviour, he stretches out those scarred hands and he says in effect to every single one of us here, he says, I died for you because I love you. The God of all this universe is totally committed to each one of you. And he has proved his perfect and permanent love for you at the cross. And you can experience that never-ending love today because he has poured out his love and he goes on pouring out his love through his spirit into the hearts of all those who have placed their faith in him. So HDC, each one of you, even in the midst of any struggles, any difficulties, 
any challenges that you may be facing at the moment. You know, nothing can transform your life more for the better than God's love. Nothing else can transform your life more for the better than knowing God's love for you. The greatest happiness of life is the conviction that you are loved by God. 